Dear friends in Christ, I thank the Lord for this opportunity to join you, the representatives of the Christian confessions present in Great Britain, in this magnificent Abbey Church dedicated to St. Peter, whose architect and this speaks so eloquently of our common heritage of faith. Here we cannot help but be reminded of how greatly the Christian faith shaped the unity and culture of Europe and the heart and spirit of the English people. Here, too, we are forcibly reminded that what we share in Christ is greater than what continues to divide us. I am grateful to His Grace the Archbishop of Canterbury for his kind greeting and to the Dean and Chapter of this Venerable Abbey for their cordial welcome. I thank the Lord for allowing me as the successor of St. Peter in the Sea of Rome, to make this pilgrimage to the tomb of St. Edward the Confessor. Edward, King of England, remains a model of Christian witness and an example of the true grandeur to which the Lord summons his disciples in the scriptures we have just heard, the grandeur of humility and obedience grounded in Christ's own example, the grandeur of fidelity, which does not hesitate to embrace the mystery of the cross out of undying love for the divine master and unfailing hope in his promises. This year, as we know, marks the 100th anniversary of the modern ecumenical movement, which began with the Edinburgh Conference appeal for Christian unity as a prerequisite for credible and convincing witness to the gospel in our time. <coughs> in commemorating this anniversary, we must give thanks for the remarkable progress made towards this noble goal through the efforts of committed Christians of every denomination. At the same time, however, we remain conscious of how much yet remains to be done. In a world marked by growing interdependence and solidarity, we are challenged to proclaim with renewed conviction the reality of our reconciliation and liberation in Christ and to propose the truth of the gospel as a key to an authentic and integral human development. In a society which has become increasingly indifferent or even hostile to the Christian message, we are also more compelled to give a joyful and convincing account of the hope that is within us and to present the risen Lord as a response to the deepest questions and spiritual aspirations of the men and women of our time. As we process it to the chancel at the beginning of the service, the choir thanks that Christ is our sure foundation. He is the eternal Son of God, of one substance with the Father, who took flesh as the Creed states for us men and for our salvation. He alone has the words of everlasting life. In him, as the Apostle teaches, all things hold together. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Our commitment to Christian unity is born of nothing less than our faith in Christ. In this Christ, reason from the deed, and seated in the right hand of the Father, who will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. 
It is the reality of Christ's person, his saving work, and above all the historical fact of his, his resurrection, which is a content of the apostolic kerygma and those credal formulas, which, beginning in the New Testament itself, have guaranteed the integrity of its transmission. The Church's unity in a word can never be other than a unity in the apostolic faith, in the faith entrusted to each new member of the body of Christ during the rite of baptism. It is this faith which unites us to the Lord, makes us share us in his Holy Spirit, and thus even now share us in the life of the Blessed Trinity, the model of the Church Kinonia here beloved. Dear friends, we are all aware of the challenges, the blessings, the disappointments, and the signs of hope which have marked our ecumenical journey. Tonight, we entrust all of this to the Lord, confident in his providence and the power of his grace. We know that the friendships we have forged, the dialogue which we have begun, and the hope which guides us will provide strength and direction as we persevere in our, on our common journey. At the same time, with evangelical realism, we must, we must also recognize the challenges which confront us, not only along the path of Christian unity, but also in our task of proclaiming Christ in our day. Fidelity to the Word of God precisely because it is a true word, demands of us an obedience which leads us together to a deeper understanding of the Lord's will, an obedience which must be free of intellectual conformism, of an accommodation of the spirit of the age. This is a word of encouragement which I wish to leave with you this evening, and I do so in fidelity to my ministry as a bishop of Rome, and the successor of St. Peter, charged with a particular care for the unity of Christ's flock. Gathered in this ancient monastic church, we can recall the example of a great Englishman and churchman whom we honor in common, St. Pete the Venerable. At the dawn of a new, a new age in the life of society and the church, Pete understood both the importance of fidelity to the Word of God as transmitted by the apostolic tradition, and the need for creative openness to new developments and to the demands of a sound implantation of the gospel in contemporary language and culture. This nation and the Europe, which Pete and his contemporaries helped to build, once again stands as a threshold of a new age. May St. Pete's example inspire the Christians of these lands to rediscover their shared legacy, to strengthen what they have in common, and to continue their efforts to grow in friendship. May the risen Lord strengthen our efforts to mend the ruptures of the past and to meet the challenges of the present with hope in the future which, in his providence, he holds out to us and to our world. Amen. Your Holiness, members of the collegiate body, distinguished guests, brothers and sisters in Christ. Christians in Britain 
especially in England, look back with the most fervent gratitude to the events of 597, when Augustine landed on these shores to preach the gospel to the Anglo-Saxons at the behest of Pope St. Gregory the Great. For Christians of all traditions and confessions, St. Gregory is a figure of compelling attractiveness and spiritual authority. Pastor and leader, scholar and exegete and spiritual guide. The fact that the first preaching of the gospel to the English peoples in the sixth and seventh centuries has its origins in his vision creates a special connection for us with the see of the apostles Peter and Paul. And Gregory's witness and legacy remain an immensely fruitful source of inspiration for our own mission in these dramatically different times. Two dimensions of that vision may be of special importance as we reflect today on the significance of Your Holiness's visit to us. St. Gregory was the first to spell out for the faithful something of the magnitude of the gift given to Christ's Church through the life of St. Benedict, to whom you, Your Holiness, have signalled your devotion in the choice of your name as Pope. In St. Gregory's dialogues, we can trace the impact of St. Benedict, an extraordinary man who, through a relatively brief rule of life, opened up for the whole civilization of Europe since the sixth century, the possibility of living in joy and mutual service, in simplicity and self-denial, in a balanced pattern of labor and prayer in which every moment spoke of human dignity fully realized in surrender to a loving God. The Benedictine life proved a sure foundation not only for generations of monks and nuns, but for an entire culture in which productive work and contemplative silence and receptivity, human dignity and human freedom were both honored. Our own culture, a culture in which so often it seems that love has grown cold, is one in which we can see the dehumanizing effects of losing sight of Benedict's vision. Work is so often an anxious and obsessive matter, as if our whole value as human beings depended upon it. And so, consequently, unemployment, still a scourge and a threat in these uncertain financial times, comes to seem like a loss of dignity and meaning in life. We live in an age where there is a desperate need to recover the sense of the dignity of both labor and leisure, and the necessity of a silent openness to God that allows our true character to grow and flourish by participating in an eternal love. In a series of profound and eloquent encyclicals, you have explored these themes for our day, grounding everything in the eternal love of the Holy Trinity, 
challenging us to hope both for this world and the next, and analysing the ways in which our economic habits have trapped us in a reductive and unworthy style of human living. In this building, with its long Benedictine legacy, we acknowledge with gratitude your contribution to a Benedictine vision for our day. And we pray that your time with us in Britain may help us all towards a renewal of the hope and energy we need as Christians to witness to our conviction that in their relation to God, men and women may grow into the fullest freedom and beauty of spirit. And in this, we are recalled also to the importance among the titles of the bishops of Rome of St. Gregory's own self-designation as servant of the servants of God. Surely the one title that points most directly to the example of the Lord who has called us. There is, we know, no authority in the Church that is not the authority of service, that is, of building up the people of God to full maturity. Christ's service is simply the way in which we meet his almighty power, the power to remake the world he has created, pouring out into our lives, individually and together, what we truly need in order to become fully what we are made to be, the image of the divine life. It is that image which the pastor in the church seeks to serve, bowing down in reverence before each human person in the knowledge of the glory for which he or she was made. Christians have very diverse views about the nature of the vocation that belongs to the See of Rome. Yet, as Your Holiness's great predecessor reminded us all in his encyclical Ut Unum Sint, we must learn to reflect together on how the historic ministry of the Roman Church and its chief pastor may speak to the Church Catholic, East and West, Global North and Global South, of the authority of Christ and his apostles to build up the body in love, how it may be realized as a ministry of patience and reverence towards all, a ministry of creative love and self-giving that leads us all into the same path of seeking not our own comfort or profit, but the good of the entire human community and the glory of God the Creator and the Redeemer.